0: right in, we would take a moment of silence for the loss of Alabama, but we did that earlier already. So and if your team lost and we'll take a, sil- a moment of silence for your team, but uh, we-, we did that earlier, so uh, we'll just jump right in here. And uh, first our second Corinthians chapter 11. We've been looking at S- Satan's strategies and uh, we've been really dis- just kind of jumped in here and looking at his ultimate plan and we did that last time and, and and just introducing it getting it going so that we're not ignorant of his devices we understand what he's working with and, and how he's going to work and actually next week we're going to look at, look really in depth at colossians chapter 2 so we'll have some more to say about that as we go here but the the adversary he, oh man what's going oh you know, we used to have a thing here that if somebody's cell phone went off they had to do a happy dance, you know, but we, Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, twenty dollar fine. Hey, I like that better than the dance. Yeah. <laughs> 20, 20, 20 That's okay. That's all right. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Last time, I guess really from last last week's message, what you need to catch in his ultimate plan is that the adversary uses men. He uses religion, he uses mankind, men to do his bidding. He's a created cherub. He's not he can't be everywhere. He's not a, he's not God, capital G. And so he's he uses men to accomplish that. And that's really in verse 13, 14 and 15 there and we saw that. This morning what I want to do is the adversary attacks in two main uh, in two main methods. First of all, he attacks the message, and then he attacks the messenger. And in the attack of the message, again, it's just what he's doing. He's deluding, changing, manipulating the message of God for man at the time. And then if that doesn't work, he comes over here and he goes after the messenger. Okay? And if that doesn't work, then he... Applies more pressure on the two fronts. Those are really the two major areas. And when we, we'll see in Colossians 2 next time, there's really four breakouts underneath those areas as he's attacking and as he's moving. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, But I fear lest by any means as the ser- serpent beguiled Eve through his fertility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul is telling us by the way verse 4 for if he and that's the the attacker the, the the guy in cometh that cometh preacheth another Jesus so see that another Jesus whom ye have not preached or if ye receive another spirit you receive another gospel. see how you've got this issue here of this, you got what Paul's preaching, and then you've got another, see? So you've got this, there's something not right here. There's something, there's a mechanism. And really, in 2 Corinthians eleven three, 3, what did he do to Eve? He beguiled her, but he, used, he was subtle about it. So it wasn't a big extravagance thing. It wasn't a big earth-shaking movement. But what did he move her away from? The simplicity that's in Christ. The message that she had received about who she was in Christ, he's doing the same thing to you and I. Get you away from who you are in Christ. If he he can't get you out of Christ, you're sealed. You're a purchased possession. He bought you. He ransomed you. That thing is a ransom for all, and, 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 and Timothy there. He, he went in. Hey, think about a pawn shop. I don't know if you've ever pawned anything. I've had to in the, in the years gone by. Well, You know what you do? You go in and you, you say, how much you give me for that? And the guy goes, I'll give you 10 bucks." And you're like, $10, really? Okay, now, $100. And you've got 30 days to do what? Buy it back. Okay? So what did God do? He made man. Satan got him. God goes in and says, I'm buying back man. And the payment is my blood, my activity on the cross. He ransomed man. Now, man's got a responsibility to believe him. I love that thing in Timothy where he says he's the savior of all men, especially them that believe. It's just a wonderful, I mean, just Thank God for commas. And fin- you know, Because if there wasn't a comma, if he doesn't finish that verse out, we're, we got a little sticky mud, a little mud to work through. But what he did, so he ransomed you. Satan knows that. Satan knows he can't get you out of and cause you to lose your eternal security, eternal life. But he, sure enough, can take you out of the battle. He can get you out of the work of the ministry. He can get you out of the fray. And the design in the attack of the message is to move you away from the truth. And what that does is if he can move you away from the truth, then that shuts the truth down in your life and in your realm of influence. So now you're not talking to family and friends and neighbors and everybody you run into. Now you're just, well, you're just watching Base boy, I I don't know, watch baseball. I watched some baseball last night, first time all year. I did not know that the Cleveland Indians were now the Cleveland Guardians. <laughs> Who thought of that name? Really? Come on, you know. Well, I do now know, and you know they, it was a good game. They lost, but anyway. L.A. the Dodgers lost. That was a great thing, right? <laughs> okay. So the but the thing is, is you just go do that. Why? Because he shut you down. But he shuts you down by getting you to leave the message. Now, come back to Genesis 3 and just notice in Genesis 3 how he got Eve, all right? Because the same way that he he maneuvers and, and beguiles Eve is going to be in the same manner where he's going to come up and beguile you and I. That's why Paul reaches in and says, look, just as Satan beguiled Eve, he's going to corrupt your minds So what did Satan corrupt in Eve? Her mind. And that's going to move you away from the simplicity in Christ. So guess what Eve moved away from? The simplicity, okay? Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the of every tree of the garden. Now let's stop right there. You see that word serpent? That is, Eve. when Eve saw the adversary, she doesn't see a snake wrapped around the trunk of a tree. tree. She sees Ezekiel 28, this beautiful, wonderful, gorgeous-looking creature. That's what she sees. She sees Fabio. In the front of the... She sees Superman. She sees this knock-down, drag-out, gorgeous person, being. In God's eyes, what is he? Serpent. Okay? In the book of the Revelation, the Antichrist is referred to as the beast. Because in God's eyes, what is he? He's a beast. But in, in man's eyes... He's going be the best poli- he's going to be the best politician that's ever walked this earth. Psalm says he's going to be as smooth as butter. See? Because what man's looking God's view, so the serpent is describing the spiritual characteristics of this ki- of this guy. What is he in God's mind? He's a serpent. He's a beast. He's a dragon. He's Leviathan. He's the crooked serpent. There's nothing good about this guy. And what does the first thing come out of his mouth? Yea, did God say? Yea, hath God said. Now, what is that? First of all, who's he talking to? He's talking to Eve. Who's the head of the family? Who's the head of the marriage? Who's the head of the. Adam should have been. Now, Adam is there, we learn later. But who does he go to? He goes to Eve. Now, there's a reason he's testing Adam. Is Adam going to cowboy up and be the husband and put a stop to it? Or is he going to, what is man going to do? He's got the authority. He knows it. See, what is is the adversary doing? Testing man, but he's testing him in in the area of do you believe the word of God? Are you trusting the word to you? Adam knows. He just says it in chapter two. There, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's my wife, and I'm her husband. And boom, he knows this. Actually, well, anyway, keep moving. I got to keep going, or we'll be we won't get to the other, which is okay. Where are you going, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we just got to eat at noon. Is that what you said? <laughs> okay. All right. Yea, hath God said? The greatest question. Above the doors coming in, I pulled a quote out of Romans 4, and what saith the scriptures? Boy, that's what we do when we come in here. What saith the scriptures? The Lord would look at those Pharisees and say, you do err, not knowing, not reading. Haven't you read the scriptures? Well, verse 2, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, do you see something? Come back to chapter 2. Chapter 2. And just look at what the Lord said to Eve. Verse 16. Adam and Eve. I'm sorry. Get them both. 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely Eat. Okay? What can Adam and Eve do in the garden? They can freely eat of everything, right? Now look at what Eve said in 3.3. God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye, what? Touch it. I'm I'm sorry, verse 2. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Do you see where she left out the word Freely? She let grace go. Grace, the free gift. What is God educating Adam and Eve about? My grace. I'm freely giving you everything here. All you got to do is believe, trust me. Obey me. There's freedom is gone. 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now look at 3.3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. Well, God didn't say anything about the location of the tree in 2.17. Who told her it was in the midst of the garden? Satan? The serpent? You see how he's come in and what has he done? He's manipulating the word of God. But of the tree of the knowledge... Of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, 2.17. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But what else does she say in 3.3? In the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye what? Touch it. She took grace out and added the law. Touch not, taste not, want not. What did she just do? She left the grace of who she was in Christ. She's made in the image of God, chapter 1, 26, 27, 28. And she went over there and she put herself under a performance system of touching it. We can't even, we're not supposed to touch it. God didn't say that. He said, don't eat it. See? She added another regulation. We can't, not only can't we eat it, but we can't touch it. He didn't say you can't touch it. He says you just can't. Eat it, and the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day three five ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Do you know why God said, "Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil"? Because evil and was not the purview of man at the time. The purview of man was to obey God's word and to subdue and to deal with creation. Genesis chapter 1. Look at, look at where man was told to do. Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after the likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, our, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created He him. Male and female, created he them. That's why marriage puts back that union. He's going to pull Eve out, but marriage brings back that union from the very beginning. And God blessed them, verse 28, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over. Why? That's the purview of man. Then he says, Don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That isn't your business. Your business is to deal with creation. You let the good and evil stuff be my purview, my, God's. But what does Satan do? Chapter 3, verse 5. For God doth, what? Know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. If you just trust me, Eve. I'll get you the decoder table. I'll get you the decoder ring. We get the Apple Jacks box out. We'll get the prize at the bottom. And you know what? You will be as gods. Little g. That's not her purview. Who was she? She's complete in Christ. She's made in the image of God. She's got nothing. She's got everything except what did he do to her? He caused her to begin to look over at something else that wasn't for her, wasn't the message of God to her. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also under her husband with her and he did he? Man, he's standing right there. First of all, Adam failed the first test of the marriage of protecting his wife. He failed. Then she uh, she fails by not saying, "Wait a minute, husband, what do you think? <laughs> You're my head. You're supposed to tell me what's going on, what the deal is." What? By the way, all all Adam had to do was claim Numbers 30 in the vows under the law. If the wife makes a vow without the husband's okay, the husband can come in and disannul that vow. That's all he had to do. Was wait, wait a minute, honey. Oh, you ate of the grape. Oh, oh don't. Hang on, Lord, we need help. That's all he had to do. The woman you gave me, Lord, just look at that. She just, man, did it wrong. He didn't do that. He looked over there, saw her, and went, whoa, where have you been all my life? Then right next to you dude and he follows right behind verse 7 the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron operation fig leaf the grape sits on sits on the vine tree figs fig leaf the fig tree in Scripture uh, uh, pictures Israel's religious life. What'd they do? They're going to hide their nakedness. What, by the way, what does God say? Verse 8 And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the, the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They, they're camouflaged up with the figs, the fig leaves. They're high, And by the way, why would you pick fig leaves? They're scratchy. They itch. You know, they're just, ooh, wow. Well, what, is, what, what does religion tell you? If it doesn't hurt, it ain't right. It's only right if it really hurts. Right? Just get them. Well, what, but what does the grace of God say? I've done it for you. You're good to go. Don't do that. Verse, seven, verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, do you think the Lord knew where Adam and Eve, you know, they're camouflaged in with the trees, hiding? Don't you think he could say, Yep, see ya. But what is he wanting Adam to do? To be held accountable for the decision that he made. And that the decision Eve made. There's accountability here. And he said, I heard thy voice, verse 10, in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, the Lord says, who told thee that thou wast naked? When he told them, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. He doesn't tell them they're going to be naked. He just says, you're going to what? You're going to die. Your, your light is going to go out. That spiritual light, that light, God is a, he, he, he's, got, he, he's, he's clothed in light. And it goes out, who told you you were naked? Isn't that an interesting thing? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me and gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Oh, man, shift the blame. Here it comes. You think, you, 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 you know, no wonder your children know where to get it from. They got it from you. Shift, the woman, she made me do it. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me. And I did eat. Isn't that interesting? What did the serpent do? He moved her away from the simplicity of the message that was given to her. Don't eat. Use your imagination. Use your ingenuity. Use your God-given abilities to eat of everything out there. You just leave the purview that doesn't belong to you to me. And you know what the the serpent did? He comes up. He goes, you see this over here? There's a reason why he doesn't want you to know this. And if you join me, I'll tell you why. And she saw that it was good and took it. And off she goes. What is, what is Satan attacking? He's not really attacking Eve. He's attacking, yea, hath God said. What was the message to Adam and Eve? And he got them. For you and I, what's our message? Come back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Think about what, God, what is God doing today? If he's going to move us from the simplicity that's in Christ, corrupt our minds, our thinking, how do we think through this? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. What motivates us, what picks us up, constrain, bear hugs you, and moves you. What what is the thing that's the driving force in your life? Is the love of Christ, not your love for Christ. Because that's good right now, but a little later you may not have that feeling right now that you do. You know, Monday morning wakes up and you got the working man blues and you haven't even been to work. You know, you get up Monday morning, is it Friday yet, you know? See, you, you waffle, but his love for you, the love of Christ constrains us. He loved, we love him because he first loved us. But God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, what did he do? He died for us. The love of Christ, it constrains us because we thus judge. Judge, how do you think about this? Everybody got a weird idea of what judge means, you know? He's not talking about you saying and going, you're right and you're wrong. A judge does that, but how does a judge do that? Based upon what? Discernment, evidence, a thinking down through and an application of the law the case. How do you judge? How do you think about this? We thus judge that if one died for all then we're all dead. Well by one man sin entered into the world so death passed upon who? All men. So what do we know? Everybody's dead. They're dead in their sins and trespasses. That's where they are. But verse 15 and that he died for all that they which live. So we got a portion of the dead group that are now alive. How are you alive? Your identity in Christ. When when you come to Calvary and you trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death becomes your death, Romans 6. His life becomes your life. Romans 6, it's that code, death, burial, and resurrection. He dies for you. He died your second death. He's got you resurrected already. You're uh, you're already seated with him in heavenly places, Ephesians 2, 6. You're already there. What God looks at the things that are to be as if they are, Romans 4 says. Hey, he's already got you there. Now, in our reality, we're not quite there yet. (laughs) we still got to deal with this place. But in his mind, where are we? We are already there because you're his. Now keep keep reading. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? What's the message today? What are you? You're a new creature. You're a new piece of humanity. You're a new species of humanity. Behold, all things—I'm sorry—all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Hey, You—this is who you are now. So, what's the adversary going to do to you? Going to try to get you out of being who you are in Christ? Come on over to Galatians three. Galatians three, folks. When you come to understand. The word of God rightly divided, and you come to understand the message revealed to the Apostle Paul and those details and how that gets down into life and how that impacts every every fiber of life. The adversary is going to sit there and say, Yeah, but. And it's going to be in that yeah, but moment that you can cave like Adam and Eve did, or you can say, you know what? I'm just going to stand here based upon the truth of God's Word rightly divided. I may not know everything. I may not understand it all. But I'm going to stand right here in who I am in Christ. And I'm going to be good to go. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Today, in the age of grace, there is no diversity as far as Jew and Gentile. That's a racial diversity. Bond or free, that's an economic situation. Male and female, that's the, the society if issue. What are we? We're one in Christ. You're my brother and sister in Christ. That's who you are. You're there. Come on over here in Galatians. Look there in chapter, oh, chapter five, verse six. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Isn't that interesting? Circumcision, uncircumcision, that's a religious divide that God sets in Genesis 17. It's, it's not the issue anymore. What's the issue? The new creature, the new man, this oneness that we have in Christ. Come on over to Ephesians 1. Here, this one kills me. Ephesians 1, verse number 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So let me ask you something. If you are in Christ, again, how do you get in Christ? Calvary. Okay. Do you have all spiritual blessings, according to that verse? Yes. Then why are you trying to do something to gain the more? What does religion do? Do this and you get. Do this, do this. Wait a second, that verse just told me I have all spiritual blessings. But what does the adversary say? Did God really say that? Maybe you better hedge your bets and do just a little bit. Colossians 2. Colossians 2 and verse number 10. Colossians 2 and verse 10. Verse 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. That's wonderful. Your completeness isn't in the bellhop guy down here at the bottom of the rung. Your completeness is in the CEO of the company, the head of all principality and power, the head guy. That's where your completeness is. So then why would you want to leave that to go do something else that isn't, well, how does that happen? Satan comes in, and he just says, you know what? You might need to try the hedge of bets. You might need to try to do this. Don't you know? Don't you know your grandma always said? Again, you don't go against grandma, and I get that. Or don't you know your preacher says this? We had a guy here one time years ago. He's like, preacher, you tell me what to do, and that's what I'll do. I said, you need to come and study. No, what do you need me to do? I, you need to come and study. So he studied with us a little long. His job transferred him. And he, actually, I heard from him a couple weeks ago. He's like, I'm still studying, preacher. I'm like, good. That's what you need. Why? Because what, but what was he? He comes out of a background of getting on that religious treadmill and working it out and going and going and going. Come over to Galatians 3. You see, folks, the adversary is going, he's going to come in, and what the, the battleground is, is your mind. It's your thinking. And if he can get your, if he can get you to have stinking thinking, as it was once said to me, then he's got you out of the fight, out of the message. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth. The result of the bewitching. And the idea there is that witch of Endor and the calling up of something that God called dead. You're not supposed to raise the dead. God said the law is dead, Romans 7. You Galatians, you've raised the law up. You're mixing law and grace. And you've raised up what God called dead. Who did that to you? Now, again, there's a guy doing it. Oh, foolish, Galatians! Foolish, slow-minded, slow-thinking, that you should not obey the truth. See, they've moved them away from the truth. Chapter 1, verse 6, that you're so soon removed Before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you, this only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you guys get saved? When I came in there and I gave you guys my gospel, Paul's gospel, and you trusted it, it was just as real to you as if Christ died on the cross right in front of you. That's how exciting you were about it. That's how real it was in you. And now I'm hearing that you guys are over here in the law. Who put you there? Who's doing it? What are you? You're fools. You're foolish. Verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that minister to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he it, doeth he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Man, you just getting them. Why? Because they're not functioning properly. What has happened? The adversaries come in and he's attacking the message. That's why Paul will later say, hey, did I, is my working in you in vain here? I got trouble here. Come on over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. What does he do? He comes in, and he says, here's what God's doing. What was God doing with Adam and Eve? Getting creation started. God's taking Adam and setting him as the regent king, prophet and priest, over creation. He's setting him up to be his man to reclaim the earth for God. Satan looks at him and says, I can get him real quick. Watch this. I'll just go talk to his wife. (laughs) We'll get his wife and then we'll get him. And and I don't have to do anything. I just got to talk to her. And that's all he did. He just got her questioning. What's he doing? What does he do to the nation of Israel? He watches Israel. God gives Israel the pure religion, the only religion God gave. He says, I can fix this. I can make them do what they shouldn't be doing, and all I've got to do is tweak it a little bit, and they're mine. And he goes over and he tweaks it a little bit. And he does it under Jeroboam and Rehoboam in the national setting. He does it under King Ahab and Jezebel. He does it over there in the Judges with Micah and the, uh, the tribe of Dan. And all he does is set up a competing religion. And you, when you look at the two, you can't tell the difference. They're so close. So he looks at you and I today in the church, the body of Christ, says, what's God doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ. He's using this nutcase apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus over here. So I, what am I going to do? I can go get them. And all i got to do is get them to go back into something that, they, that, uh, the, the, that God called dead, the law. Think about this. Look at 1 Timothy 1. Look at verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So obviously they're teaching what? Other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Fables, stories with a moral ending. You know, you've heard those from the preacher. Give you a 20-minute ditty sing for an hour and a half and give 20 minutes of a feel-good message to get you out the door to By the way, the offering box is in the back. Fill her up. Fables. Aesop's Fables. Got a moral to it. An endless genealogy. I went to so and so school. By the way, I'm so-and-so's son. We go to the church where brother so-and-so's son is the pastor. It's an endless genealogy. And what you begin to do, you begin to worship the genealogy. Rather than paying attention, watch what he does. Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Look at what's happening here. Where did they go? Verse 5, now the end of the commandment is charity, and out of a pure heart and of good conscience of faith unfeigned, from some having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling. Now watch, desiring to be teachers of the, what? The law. Understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law, do you see where they take you? They took took these guys back to the law of Moses. You see that? They brought him back. They said, "You know what? We don't like Paul. We don't trust Paul. Paul's a nutcase. You're a part of an occult. We got Moses. We got 39 books of Moses. And man, Moses is right on." You caught 39 books rather than five books, okay? We got it figured out, man. He don't got nothing. Look at this nutcase. Boy, to look at him is to think something. He got run over by a garbage truck. Look at the poor guy. His appearance is weak and contemptible. Can't even, he, he, his speech is, I love this, rude elementary, rude, Elementary, not rude in that he was coarse and cursing, but just what, basic and plain. He says to the Corinthians, we didn't come in with enticing words of man's wisdom. We just came in and preached the gospel to you. What, what, what do Satan's emissaries do? You go to Richard Jordan, Rick Jordan's church and listen to that, he can't even, his English is bad. Don't you know? You know, just what? He's crazy. Exactly. He's a nutcase. What, you know, he kicked me out for not doing it. You know, but what? And all it is is a mechanism to do what? Get you to come away, get you to go back to the law. I got to keep going. Look, 2 Timothy 2, on your way go to Titus 1. Titus one, you see, folks, the attack is first on the message. One to draw you back under the law. Titus one verse number Uh, nine. Titus is talking here to the to the bishops. And to the leadership, he says, holding fast, verse Titus 1, 9, holding fast the faithful word, as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. You see that issue of the circumcision? That is the issue of Going back under the law, going back under chapter 3, verse 9, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Woo! Boy, he's, you know why? Because what are they going to do? They're going to drag you back to the law. Or, 2 Timothy 2, they're going to drag you out to the future. And say, see, don't you know that we're in the book of the Revelation? Because look at all that's happening, and look at all the fulfilling, and da 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 da. And then, and oh, buy my book that says 2022—the end's here—or buy my book that says, what was it, 1988 or 84 or 80, whatever it was in the, you know, buy this. And you know, the next thing you know, what are you? You're on every wind of doctrine, tossed to and fro. And he just dragged you to the future. Don't live in the now. Let's move to the, boom. Well, look at 2 Timothy 2. 2, 2.14. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Man, what are they doing? Subverting the hearers. Subvert. Cast away. Overthrow. Take that and flip it upside down. Submarine it. Boom. Put it upside down. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase the more, uh, in, in, will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as it doth a canker, of whom is Hymenus and Philetus. He says over there, a little leaven does what? Leavens the whole lump. Oh, we can just have a little bit. No, you have a little bit, the little bit takes it all. You know the saying, give them an inch, they take a mile. That's what he's doing here. Keep reading. verse. Look at what they did, verse 18. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Notice what these guys are saying. They didn't say that the resurrection did not happen. They said it has what? Already happened. There's a heretical doctrinal group out there called the Preterist, And what the Preterists believe is that in AD 70, Scripture was fulfilled, and that today we're living in the kingdom. Now, that's a real shortened thing, okay? I asked a guy one time, when the first time I was exposed to this many years ago, and I said, you believe this is the kingdom? Because it ain't the kingdom I read about. This is horrible. He goes, oh, well, you know, the Gentiles have to go through the hellish part of the kingdom and I'm like whatever dude you know get well let me ask you something in AD 70 when Titus sacked Jerusalem it's not the first time it's the third time that he does it in history what is God's program and plan in that moment are we under the prophetic program or are we under the mystery program how about mystery because who's on the scene in, in Paul was. A.D. 35, 30, right in there, Paul shows up. The dispensation of grace shows up. So when Titus is sacking away in AD 70, if you understand your word rightly divided, which is what you're exhorted to do, what would you instantly know? Well, it isn't prophetic program, it's mystery program. So I don't have to worry about it. So what do I know? The kingdom is still to come. <laughs> And right now he's doing this over here, and praise the Lord. But what did I just, what does Satan do? He says, go back to the law and get on that treadmill and work it out. Or if, if you say no to that, okay, well, you need to understand that we're really in the book of the Revelation. And that big, beautiful yellow moon you saw the other night, red moon, is this and that. And the sky's falling, chicken little. And all this stuff is going on. And the next thing you do, you know what you do? You take your Bible, you shut it, you put it on the thing, and you crawl under the bed, and you say, wait until the morning. And you know what he's got? He's got you. Because then you call me and say, hey, Rick, this is what's happening. And I say, no, it's not. And then I'm the bad guy. Because what's that lead to? Let's go after the messenger. Okay? Now, we got five minutes to do a whole bunch of stuff about the messenger. But just see how he's attacking here. Philippians chapter 1. He's going to attack the messenger. We can do this quickly, Philippians chapter 1. When he attacks the messenger, the attack is done in in several different manners. Ultimately, it's intimidation, okay? If he can't get you to leave the message, then he's going to turn to where you're hearing the message from. And there's an issue of intimidation. You guys remember in Galatians 2 when Paul withstood Peter because he was to be blamed when he got up and he left the Gentiles to eat? Do you know why Peter did that, the verse says? Because James and the Jews from Jerusalem came into town. He was intimidated by the religious pressure of conforming conforming to, so he caved. Well, that's what's going to happen here. Philippians 1, if you notice verse 27... Just to get the idea here. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing, notice, terrified by your adversaries. What are they? They're terrified. They're intimidated. And if he can intimidate the messenger... Then what's he going to shut down? The whole thing. He gets the. He doesn't. If you sit there and you say, Devil, I'm sticking with the word rightly divided, hit the road, Jack. He'll say, That's okay. I'll just come over here and work on the guy you're listening to. And if I can get the guy over here that you're listening to to be discouraged, by the way, discouraged says, I quit, or to discredit the guy that's the false accusers, then what can I do? I can shut the whole system down. Well, watch this here in Philippians 1. Come back up with me to verse 7. Paul is in jail, verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace." How many times do we see Paul, I'm in bonds, I've been evil-spoken of as an evildoer, and he didn't break any Roman law, he just is out there preaching the word, and they're nailing him, see? The bonds. So drop down to verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, when he appeals to Caesar and they move him to Caesar, they put him in the palace. And what do you think Paul's doing in the palace? Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Boom, he's just giving it to him. When they chain that Roman centurion to him and bring him from, from Jerusalem up to Rome, that poor guy, he heard the gospel at every turn. I say poor, he that's a good thing. Actually there's indications that he's, one of them's converted, but then he's also wit- witnessing Paul live the grace life and not hold that centurion as, a, as, a, as an enemy, but as a potential brother in Christ. Different thinking. I just anyway, he's in the palace, verse 14. And many of the brethren, now watch, in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds, are much b- more bold to speak the word without fear. So here's the fallout of the bonds. Some indeed preach Christ even of what? Envy and strife. Why would they be preaching Christ out of envy and strife? What are they preaching? Think about that. What are they preaching? That nutcase Paul, you see preaching what he preaches, which is Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again the third day, and that God's dealing with everybody under grace today, and we know that that's not true because look at Moses and blah, blah, blah. He, they threw him in jail. Now, wait a second. What they just preach? They preached Paul's message, didn't they? But what are they doing with the group? You see, Paul's in jail over there, and here's why. Because here's what he preached. Keep reading. And some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. They're a false witness, a false character witness. They go in uh, into the court thing there and they say, hey, you know what? We heard old Paul say that Christ died for your sins. We heard old Paul say that Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and one day is going to come back. We heard him say it, yes, sir. And I'm sitting there going, you're just preaching what Paul's message is. But what do they think they're doing? Adding to his affliction. Shutting him down. Verse 17, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding, Every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Look at Paul! What an attitude! You, I, he's in bonds, and the guys that put him in bonds—they're over here railing about how we know that. You know, Paul, X thirteen, Paul says the only way you're going to receive forgiveness of sins is that Moses' law could never forgive. You got to trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in him and him only is forgiveness. We know that's not true. Paul says, you know what? Keep coming, guys, because all you're doing is preaching my message, and that's okay. Isn't that interesting? In other words, by trying to discredit Paul, it didn't shut down the message, did it? Now, it may have caused a few people not to go that way. but it doesn't shut it down. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Chapter 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Look at verse 15. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. It did work on some of them, didn't it? By the way, the all there is not everybody because Timothy's there and there's a little group of saints at Ephesus still there, okay? But it's what? It's the mass. But what's it doing? It's impacting, isn't it? It has impacted Timothy. Look back up there at verse 3. 2 Timothy 1.3 I thank God whom I served with from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee and my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice and I am persuaded that in thee also wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands for God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God the attack was working on Timothy it had him down He's looking around at this beautiful church, local church there at Ephesus, and he just sees them leaving. And he gets discouraged. And discouragement says, I quit. I'm done. I have enough. I'm I'm going fishing. And Paul reaches out and says, hey, 1 Thessalonians 3, you need to buck it up. You need to keep going. You need to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Savior. There's the message. Nor of me, his prisoner, there's the messenger. Because what's the adversary trying to do? Shut it all down. Pull the plug on all of it. So the ultimate plan of the adversary... One is going to use men to promote, to protect, to propagate his lie. Move it out there. Then he's going to attack the message. He's going to come after the word of God in order to cause you not to believe it, not to follow it. He's going to do that by dragging you back under the law or moving you out into the ages to come. But not to allow you to live where you're supposed to be living in the dispensation of grace. And if he can't do that then he's going to come after the messenger and he's going to use a discredit he's going to use a discouragement but ultimately it's intimidation intimidate you to shut you up and he uses religion to do it first thessalonians chapter 3 paul is concerned verse 1 wherefore when we could no longer forbear we thought it good to be left at athens this is act 17 And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Boy, if we had the time to study out those afflictions. Because you know what they were doing? They were attacking the message. And they were attacking Paul. And the guys doing it were Jews. They went over and they got the men of the lewd baser sort. They went to the the gangsters, couldn't get it done, couldn't shut them up. So then they went to the government and made the government the enemy and tried to shut them down. Verse 4, for verily when we were told, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass. And ye know for this cause when we could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now, now watch Paul, when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, they sent a gift to Paul. Financial support to Paul. They, a pastor appreciation month, Paul. <laughs> okay? That's what they did. They took care of him. That's the charity. And that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in do you know how Paul, God comforted Paul there? He comforted Paul by the sending of Timothy with a great report of the faithfulness of the saints at Thessalonica. You see what lifted Paul up was that they haven't succumbed to the attack. Your presence here for me does so much more because you're here. Bam. You didn't succumb. That's what's happening here. Now, we'll get in Colossians 2 next week. We'll see some things on the attack there. But, folks, let's be here where the Thessalonians are. The pressure's on. The attack is on. And you know what? Let's stand fast. We may not know it all, but, man, let's stand in what we do know. And love it and enjoy it, because what is the adversary trying to do? Trying to remove you, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that we have in your Son. And we thank you for all the spiritual blessings that are ours. In your name we pray, amen. All right. Let's stand. We'll be